0: My guest today, in the eyes of young men and women of her generation, seems to have it all. Poppy Jamie is an entrepreneur. She has a successful fashion accessories brand, Pop and Suki, which sells bags but also celebrates friendship and women working together. She is an influencer on social media with hundreds of thousands of followers. She's a rising star in the mental health and mindfulness space with a mission to empower people to look after their minds and make their thoughts more flexible through easy tools and methods. So she does that through her app, uh, which is a very popular global mental well-being app called Happy Not Perfect. Also through her podcast, Not Perfect, which is frequently on the top 10 among the mental health podcasts in the UK. She's been named one of the Forbes list of 30 under 30. She's Glamour's most empowering new-gen activist you need to know. Uh, W Magazine called her, ahead her as part of the next generation of activists making a difference. And so when you really think about it, you think she must have been very happy going through all of this. But she wasn't. And her new book coming out, Happy, Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind and Challenge Your Thoughts, and Free Yourself from Anxiety, shares her personal battle with perfectionism and other mental health-related issues and the tools that she used to help transform herself into someone that can actually engage with life without having to pay the price through her own mental health. I'm excited about this conversation. I hope you will enjoy it too. Poppy Jamie. For now, I I was in Dubai for all of winter, and now I'm probably, I'm trying to find a place that I can live in summer in. So I'm between Greece and Holland, which are both amazing for me. I mean, you know, Greece, it's like they are like us. They're like completely chill, laid back, like us Egyptians, very unproductive. And, uh, <laughs> but enjoying life, I mean, depends on what you define as productive, really. I You know, they are very productive in terms of creating connections and enjoying life and really savoring every minute and every second. So yeah, and I this is exactly what I needed. So I came to Greece two days ago and uh, I probably stay a couple of weeks and then see.
1: Wow, that is so, I mean, it's so healing to be by the sea too. You just think to yourself, why why do we do it to ourselves? Why do we live in cities, you know, with nomadic working?
0: It is really a great question, honestly. I mean, I think it's changing in an interesting way. I think a lot of people are starting to ask themselves. I mean, in a place like Dubai, for example, the real estate market has shifted visibly, taking apartments in the middle of the city, which were the big thing before, the prices of those are going down and houses that are a little bit outside the city, a little quieter, are rising significantly. I think some like 25%, which basically means the preference of people is to say, yeah, do I really need to be in the heart of the hustle and bustle? You know, it doesn't really make sense. So we, we have to reflect and choose. I mean, do you think I should never go back to the city? Say it, say it. I know. You're like, please (laughs) tell me it's the right thing to do. I'm just
1: so interested in, because that's the same thing that's happened in the UK, the verticom is race for space. So everybody's kind of, you know, moving outside London to try and have kind of some more space, especially families. But I'm interested in the next two years, do we all then suddenly crave that just connection I think you know city life has had no joy for the last year because the reason why mm. we're in city is to be close to people there was no point of being close to people because we couldn't see anyone so I'm interested in at what point do you know is that kind of maybe we don't have to sacrifice connection anymore because of we can have a conversation right now and we could be sitting down outside a cafe having coffee
0: yeah I, I think the answer is somewhere let's say for the ones that are truly connected to themselves the answer is somewhere in the middle I I think many of us will just jump back exactly where we were before in the madness and the hustle and bustle and speed and pace and trying to keep up with the image and with the events and with every dinner and so on. And some of us will disappear completely. But I think the wiser ones, in my view, will get enough of each. I think there is there is value. I mean, I'm coming to the UK. I have a million friends in the UK and it's a wonderful place in London. But yeah, I'm coming maybe for a few weeks this year. And do I really need to be there the whole year? Do I really need to rush to the office every morning? Do I really need to just be part of that pace again? Probably not. You know, do I really need to travel like I used to travel? Definitely not. Can I create this connection like you and I now, sometimes this way and sometimes over a coffee, not necessarily every Time in the city while we have to rush and text each other and say I'm so sorry I'm ten minutes late and you know how it is you're not a stranger to that pace of life if you want I think it's uh, it needs a rational decision it needs a balanced wise decision
1: yeah I mean I found writing the book was like almost this kind of deep dive into what does a connection with self look like, because I think maybe before now, and I don't think I'm alone in this, like, we never really thought about the connection with ourselves because, you know, inverted commas, busy took over, you know, when you're rushing and you're five minutes late, you're so worried about being five minutes late, you're not taking that five minutes to consider, you know, what really do you need to do that day? What really mm-hmm. is going to kind of nourish you? It's a really interesting time where I think we're having collective introspection. And it's, you know, it's uncomfortable, I think.
0: Have you made any discoveries? Do you know where you want to be, how you want to be? Any intentions and plans for life? No.
1: You know, I I was speaking with some people about this. And it's, in a way, I'm consciously not rushing to even decide. I love that. And because I used to race to go, yes, this is my five-year goal, this is my 10-year goal, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is the way I'm going to get there, and I would just make it happen. But it's such a forceful way of living life, and it did just cause me, one of the reasons I wrote the book, just constant exhaustion because Mm. you're not flowing with life I was doing life and if it didn't go according to my plan then it was extreme reaction and emotion and and as a consequence I'm at the moment really questioning what this whole movement of inverted commas manifestation is because you know it sometimes it actually takes away from being that muddy bucket and Mm. allowing that muddy bucket to get still to then you know just look at and see the bottom but instead we're desperately trying to kind of create superficial Mm. goals just to create some sort of direction when actually it's really not what we truly want
0: oh that i have not heard before i think we dive deep on this one for a minute so this is so interesting so basically i i'm really good at manifesting what i need from life but I and many others will talk to everyone and say, You can get what you expect from life. And you're saying, Even if you can, maybe you should at least wait a minute and see if that's actually what you want from life. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Because one of my friends used to say to me, Poppy, be careful what you wish for. If you are a good manifester, and I would say, Been really fortunate to be a good manifester for my entire life. And then it's, Amazing how sometimes you you get thrown such a wild challenge and it just makes you consider everything. You know, you then mm. suddenly go, "Oh my god, do I even want this job? Oh my god, do I should I be in this relationship?" <laughs> and oh my gosh. Mm. And look, I'm all for having goals, right? Because you know, we're a skateboard, a skateboard moves if, if it has a direction to go in. But I think there is plan to fail fail to plan. And I think there's a beauty what I'm learning, and this is only a recent learning because I'm releasing this book, and usually I would be like, right this is what i'm going to do this summer and i suffered from workaholism which is a very strange addiction to be addicted to work because obviously <laughs> everyone assumes addiction like drugs alcohol like rock and roll when i'm there like you know semi addicted to my laptop it's it's a very odd one and everyone you know replies well that if you have to have any addiction you might as well be addicted to work but it's just another f- numbing behavior and i think in a way i use the techniques of manifestation in a slightly self abusive way in a another numbing behavior way which is i'm not going to consider all those like niggles the insecurities the whys like why do i need to achieve that goal and like you just said oh the wise ones are not going to be running to every event or every social occasion they're going to be able to sit with themselves and really understand what they want that often takes the power of a pause in I never, never appreciated the power
0: of the pause. If you're okay, I want to go into that story because you, so we have lots of common friends most of my uh, listeners, not most, but I have a very large number of women listening to the podcast. Many of them are in their twenties and thirties and you seem to be the dream, right? Your life, your career, TV presenter, entrepreneur. You have a successful podcast. You have very successful app. You're basically what every young lady would sort of dream of becoming, but yet it seems that every time you went through one of those experiences, it wasn't exactly as shiny as it appeared on the TV screen or on the covers of the magazines and newspapers and so on. So I'd really love for you to open your heart and tell everyone what life really is like. you go through those experiences. I think that would be a very big eye-opener because most people think the grass is a lot greener on the other side. Yes. Let's start from being a TV presenter, which I think is what a lot of people dream of being.
1: Yeah, so even at the age of six years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. And so I would host home videos and, you know, as we were just briefly talking about before, I have always been a great manifester. So at the age of six, I want to be a TV presenter. My parents have zero contacts. I live in the countryside. How on earth am I going to do that? And it's an idea that I used to write it down and I would try everything I possibly could to make that happen. And it was interesting because... In the book, this really kind of forced me into, like, but why? But why do we want these things? And why did I want to be a TV presenter? For the good reason, I love teaching. It was this idea that you could teach loads of people lots of different things. And my favourite shows was things like Blue Peter, if you remember that. But then I think that kind of goal morphed actually into more being what I felt was a solution to the insecurity I felt inside and growing up I remember just being so mediocre like just not having a special skill but you know when you're, you're at school and that's kind of you know everybody wants their special skill it's like you know Toby he's great at football you know Alice She's great at drama and, you know, everyone can has, but if you were a child who, you know, and I felt I was this, who didn't really have a special skill, I kind of developed that into, well, I'm not enough and I have to be more to be enough. And that was kind of really how my psyche was developed. And so I thought, well, all those TV presenters, they just look happy all the time and they look like they're having... (laughs) a a great time. Hold on a minute. This is the solution for my life. If I become a TV presenter, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be, inverted commas, successful. And I'm just never going to have a problem because they look perfect. And that was really kind of where the next belief like came from. Perfect equals no problems. And obviously I then had a very nasty realization that There is no such thing as perfect. And so when I then started TV presenting, I remember it was all my worst fears confirmed because suddenly, you know, I had this producer that would say, you're not likable enough. Um, mm, No, your voice isn't good enough. Um, You don't look right. And all of these things I thought was going to be solved by the TV industry actually just made them worse. And suddenly, actually, I was more not right, more mediocre, more not enough. Oh, wow. And so I thought, oh God, I need to be better. So in my kind of young brain, I converted that to you will not do anything else until you make a success of yourself. So no dating, I was single for 10 years. I said, no, no, that's a distraction. I have to, for me to be enough in this world, I've got to externally prove myself. So I moved countries, I worked myself into the ground. And then when I I guess I did have my break, of course the insecurities don't go because nothing external can fix something internal. So suddenly I was like doing the part, doing this thing that I had worked every second of every day to do. I had three jobs. I remember kind of, you know, when I was at university and a TV presenting at the time. And I think often when people look at inverted commas success, nobody looks at the sacrifice. Nobody looks at the, like the parties you miss or the family occasions that you sacrifice. I remember there was a time my parents sat me down and they said, Poppy, for the last four Christmases, you've been working. Like, can't you spend one year not? And I couldn't because my insecurities needed to work so much for me to prove my worth.
0: I think this is the most honest, wonderful, vulnerable statement anyone could say. And it's so beautiful the way you say it. It wasn't a drive for success only. It was, no, no, I need to prove I'm not good enough. It's a as you say, it's, it's an insecurity. And and I have to say, a lot of the successful people that I know, and I know billionaires, they just can't stop. And it's not because they haven't achieved the external success. It's because they're insecure. They don't feel that the success is enough. I had guests here. I had a few friends who were models. And, you know, in the modeling industry, you you're supposed to look perfect, right? And the final pictures that is on the billboards is as if you are the goddess herself. But then they speak exactly of what you speak of, of that process to getting to that billboard. You're constantly reminded that you're ugly and you're thin and you're there there is a crease on your complexion and there is an imperfection here and that you maybe need to be a little thinner than you already are. And it's just crazy, really. And I think most people miss that. They see the final product and they don't realize how humanly challenging it is to be in those places.
1: Right. I remember being told consistently growing up, you know, all that glitters is not gold. All that glitters is not gold, Poppy. All that glitters. And it's often, you know, it doesn't matter how often you get told that. And it's not real. I think, you know, our culture right now is in a really dangerous and toxic place. And thank God for the rise of, I think, another movement, which is looking at and promoting self-acceptance, because up until then, I remember 2015, 2016, when my kind of real crash, burnout happened, and I wanted to really start looking into mental health, I wasn't even able to use the word mental health. In LA, it was like, I mean, it was so foreign. Like the world of wellness was a beginning, but in a way it was just another form of perfectionism growing. <laughs> mm. And this idea of like, well, do you meditate every single day? And if you don't, well, you're failing. And it was it was so, I'm not sure whether it's a human thing, but it was so extreme in our, the lifestyles that we subscribe to. And so I think there's so many way avenues when we look, if we look to culture for ways for us to find validation, it's a very dangerous place to look. And I was a prime example of that. Somebody who just kind of walked around just trying, you know, almost like be liked. And so the next thing, the next trend would pop up and you would quickly, oh my God, run to that one, run to that one. And <laughs> uh, and you slightly lose yourself in the process. Do you miss
0: your 20s? If you go back now, would you do it differently? Would you go out drinking and having drugs and dancing instead?
1: You know, it's such a good question, and I would probably say I wouldn't change it. Because I think if I tried to change it, that would be another form of my perfectionism taking over. And actually, like, the messiness of it was what has led me, I guess, to where I'm at now, which is a work in progress and someone who has had to really sit with those uncomfortable moments of looking into their insecurities and looking into the whys. And hence why I'm like hesitant now to set a huge list of goals and achievements that I want to do, because actually I think it's just changing the rhythms of your life and it's ebbs and flows. I think sometimes we need to go through struggles And often, and I write about this a lot, culturally, we put such a premium on happiness. And actually, do we grow in our happiness? I mean, you write and talk about this a lot. It's our, you know, often our darkest moments is when we find often this beautiful joy that feels so sacred.
0: Oh my God, you are in so much self-discovery. This is the best moments of life. And I, I don't know... You know, I I hear your words and I've heard them before, but I feel your energy and what you're going through. And it is so special. I hope people capture that when they're listening to you speak, because this is, I'll say this is a young lady who's literally reflecting on all the right things. It's really, really, really those moments that make us something. And you having it in, in such a young age, I think, is going to set you to be guru poppy in, in the future. So,
1: <laughs> Well, you know, that's kind of you. That's so, like, honestly, like from you, like who's such an hero of mine. So, I mean, like that is like overwhelmingly like lovely. So thank you so much for saying that. But, you know, what I would say is, like we are our kind of, I guess, our own gurus. I think that's like one of the the most amazing things that maybe I've discovered is I used to spend my life waiting for someone else's opinion or someone else's advice. And I think we live in a culture of like guruism when actually when you read a book like yours, like you're providing tools for people to tap into their own self-discovery. And so I don't know any more than the next girl, the next boy... But I guess what you just said, like all on different paths to kind of scrape away what we think we ought to be. We're scraping away our conditioning.
0: Mm, I think that's what it's all about. It's really, in very simple words, it's all about peeling. Can I go to happy, not perfect? I mean, you know, in design school, they tell you that what made Steve Jobs and Apple in the years of Steve Jobs so special was his approach of simplifying things to their very, very essence. And I have to admit to you, Happy Not Perfect is such a wonderful summary of the whole game of life. Okay. It's like, this is (laughs) it. All right. So you know how in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, when the supercomputer goes to solve all of the mystery of life and the universe and everything, and then it comes back and says 42. I mean, that's a joke for the geeks. The geeks will get it. But, you know, it could have said happy, not perfect. This is it really, right? What do you mean? Are you saying happy is more important than perfect? Or are you saying happy doesn't happen with perfect? Or are you saying you will never achieve perfect, so just settle for happy? What is it?
1: Well, I think it's a mixture of all of them. And to be honest, I woke up at 3 a.m. with those words. I remember it was like the 3rd of January, 2015, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just knew it was, I had to do something with them and didn't know what it was. And I bought the domain name at 3 a.m. I was like, I don't know <laughs> what it is. But, and so I went on GoDaddy and I woke up to this receipt, you know, happynotperfect.com. And um, and I'm such a geek. I buy domain names the entire time, <laughs> like little messages. And uh, it's such a weird hobby. But for some reason, they're just, I always think, oh, that's a fun thing. And, and to me, It's a sign that I should, it's a message that needs to be shared if the dot-com is free and available. And it felt like the antidote to how I'd been living life up until then. I had prioritised perfect over happy, and I thought that perfect would equal happy too without blemish, everybody liking you, everyone, you know, having the perfect career and the perfect life and looking a certain way and actually that it just caused a massive health breakdown and chronic anxiety and stress and like highly low self-worth. And suddenly when I like reflected on these words, happy not perfect, which was really like honestly like given to me, I suddenly was like, oh my gosh. Oh, happy actually is the antithesis of perfect happy is <laughs> I guess the definition I've arrived at is flexibility this ability to arrive in so many different emotional states and appreciate them all and know that we can bend in lots of different seasons but have a self-trust that we're always going to be okay like that's true happiness is to be able to receive deep imperfectness.
0: You've just said so many things, each of them needs to, needs a deep dive. I think what most people worry about is that fear. Am I actually going to always be okay? I mean, most people miss the fact that they've been okay so far. I don't, I don't know how can you convince someone that, no, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be challenging, obviously sometimes externally and sometimes it's going to be self-imposed, but either way, it's going to be challenging every now and then, but you're going to be okay. How do you arrive at that? I mean, especially coming from a place where you felt insecure at a point in time.
1: So I remember my mother telling me a story that, you know, if everybody just realized that they were birds with wings and the twig may break beneath you, but you always have wings. And I remember this story and... This is a the thing, there's one thing listening, there's another thing hearing, or whatever it is, there's one thing hearing, there's another thing listening. And so we'd kind of be told and she's a psychotherapist. So I was always very fortunate that I had this mother who would try to kind of psychotherapise her children and we're like, No, 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 no. <laughs> um you're to me and just like carry on blindly you know this is what I mean like I was just so like no this is what I'm gonna do I'm not listening to anything and you know we kind of you know had a car crash and had to learn the hard way but I just don't think we talk about self-trust enough because as you just quite said our fear and our inner critic is so powerful because of course our inner critic knows our worst fears. It knows the buttons it needs to press oh, yeah. to take away or chip at that self-trust. And, and that's why why I wanted to build the app, because I realized that this is a daily practice to remind ourselves, to have confidence. And to be honest, I've always been actually very religious. I grew up very religious and I chose to, you know, believe in faith so much. And then I think. You know, in the last, I think, oh gosh, one of the statistics was since 2020 and since the 2000, church going has gone down 20% or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And, you know, without this idea of faith that we are being looked after, we are like on this divine, perfect path, actually, that's full of challenges, but they are challenges that are sent, you know, for our greatest good, it's really difficult to just sit in our humanness and think that we've got control over everything. I think our our desire to want to have total control, which is like, I think feeds into perfectionism, takes away having self-trust that everything is unfolding perfectly for us. So for me, actually, as much as I have, the greatest route of change for me has been through learning about the mind. It's really learning about the neuroscience behind our mind and how our mind works, because How can you soothe yourself when you don't realize that whatever you're going through is totally normal and this is what's happening in the brain and you can kind of like reassure yourself, oh God, this is just my emotional center, my amygdala. It's a bit overreactive (laughs) right now. Oh, just switch on that prefrontal cortex. Don't worry, I'm going to do my breathing. That's what happens. You know, like almost kind of look at the mechanics of our brain. That's been truly helpful for me. And then that gets to to a, a certain point. And then for me, it has been really developing and like practicing, having... Belief in in a higher power, I think that's kind of been so important, really, on the journey.
0: Once again, so unusual, because even people today who believe there must be a higher power, I mean, I wrote extensively about that in Chapter 14 of Soul for Happy. People shy away from the topic. They sort of tell themselves, oh, you know, I heard this other guy speak in TED Talk and say, oh, this is foolish and religion is this and that. There must be not a higher power. And again, it takes a bit of confrontation because the wave that the world is telling us to follow today is, no, 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 don't believe in that ancient fable, while it is just something that is being sold to the masses like everything else. And I think the bravery should require us to not listen to either, you know, not listen to the story of religion and not listen to the person that's telling you religion sucks. Listen to you put a bit of effort in it because I have to admit most of my wisest teachers have a connection with something that is not physical, something that's bigger than us. And that really positions you very differently in your everyday life. I want to dive deep into the book, but I want to ask you another maybe question about poppy. So so now you even radiate differently. So for those who are listening there is a very clear peace radiating through the Zoom screen when I'm talking to Poppy, which is quite felt, I have to say. Having been on TV, famous, mega following on social media, you're a successful entrepreneur, now an author, but you've, I think, arrived at a different place inside. If I were to ask you, happy, not perfect. So What would be the stuff that really matters to you in life? Having gone through that journey that everyone goes through, if you tell all the young ladies that dream of going through that journey, where have you arrived? What do you think actually matters?
1: Curiosity. I honestly think that when I'm learning, this is why I encourage anyone to write a book, regardless of what the result is, if you're publishing it, if you're doing it for you, if you're doing it for friends and family, like... You know, obviously a book is an extreme way of, of practicing curiosity. But this is why I like podcasts. I was listening to your podcast with the amazing neuroscientist about the four people in the brain.
0: Oh, Jill Bolte taylor Yeah, I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, oh God, I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm like learning. I feel great. And it is, it's like, I remember saying like when I was really little, you know, life is never going to be boring if you're meeting new people because you're always learning about someone else's life experience. And this is why I guess I love podcasts because, you know, I can go for a morning walk and like, you know, basically have dinner with Mo and, you know, his neuroscience friend and learning about the four people in the brain. Like, it's how cool. And so I think I find work gets really dull for me as soon as I'm not learning, as soon as... And look, you know, some people obviously have jobs that aren't particularly curious, right? And that's totally fine too. And we can find curiosity in in our hobbies and in the weekends. And so I think out of all the things that I've done in different countries I've been in and like people I've met, the times that I look back on most fondly is when I was in those periods of just learning or finding out for the first time and this is what I just love about the mind when you first learn how the mind works it's like you're oh my god it's like you're living a completely different life so yeah so I think for me whatever I do next it has to be something around learning and curiosity asking questions
0: total flow you seem to be in total flow. It's like, let me explore, let me see where the world takes me, let me see what it teaches me. Tell me about Happy Not Perfect, the book, because there are three Happy Not Perfects, right? There is the app, there is the podcast, and now the book. The book is out already this month, right? Yes. So tell me about it. Why would anyone want to read it beyond the title that summarizes it all? I mean, like, this is it. This is Happy Not Perfect, right?
1: So the book teaches about flexible thinking, this thing that Ooh, I, I that. think I arrived on in terms of like, all the things I've learned, what has that culminated in? There's an amazing writer called Leonard Mlodno, and he wrote a book called Elastic about how the brain has a complete capacity to always be elastic and always change. And Byron Katie is another inspiration I of mine. Byron
0: Katie. Oh my God, she's the best. <sighs> the
1: vest. And obviously she is like my curiosity inspiration with her full questions and the work. And suddenly I was like, you know what? The greatest thing that has totally changed the way I was experiencing life was when I became a flexible thinker. And a flexible thinker is someone that knows whatever they're going through, it can change, we can like stretch our mind to find new perspectives and also acknowledging our blind spots. There is no right and wrong. How can we be right when we all biologically have blind spots? You know, you drive a car and you always have to look right twice to avoid the blind spot.
0: Left, guys, left. You have to look left twice. She's on the wrong side (laughs) of the road in the UK. All right. (laughs) Yeah, right twice. Yeah,
1: Right. And suddenly when I understood the fact that biologically we've been created stiff we jump to conclusions we assume our psyche is created through past experience and although that can be the architect of our present doesn't need to predict our future like we need to understand our stiffness and respect the fact that we can be very stiff with our confirmation bias we turn meaningless things into meaning like oh that person didn't text me back my former insecure brain would immediately jump to well if i was enough they would have texted me back oh wow <laughs> And suddenly, with a flexible mind, which the book has a method called The Flex in it, it's about connecting to how we feel. And that was really inspired by acceptance commitment therapy. Like getting curious with Byron Katie, where you're like, is this true? Is this really true? How does this thought make me feel? Who would I be without this thought? And suddenly we realize that the majority of our suffering is rooted in our thoughts. Like step three is is choice. I may not have a choice right now to be happy because I'm going through an extremely challenging time, but I always have a choice to be self-compassionate. I have a choice to be kind to myself in whatever I'm going through and for commitment to action aligned with our values. And that's what I think the commitment step was a really important one that I enjoyed exploring a lot because often, you know, we can think that, oh, if you just think something enough, it will happen or make like real change, our reality changes when we commit to a different response to life. So this idea of flexibility is really what I kind of focused the book on, because it was definitely a route to freedom for me.
0: Can you say that last point again? I Actually, it's a point I've been pondering recently. So I, I meet a lot of people that basically believe that if they just stick to the same idea, even if it's a very unrealistic idea for me, that it will eventually happen. Are you saying they are following the right approach? Are you saying they're not?
1: No, I think Einstein got it so right. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So I was a great, I loved the Growth Mindset book by Carol Dweck. But my problem with Growth Mindset was this idea of just persistence. But... Often this is why I'm kind of hesitant to create huge goals for myself. Because right now, right now, I I caveat with right now, I do love goal setting. But when you pause and it's like a fly getting in a window, if you just, if the fly just keeps flying into the window, it keeps hitting the window. But if it paused and said, hmm, what's the flexible way to still get what I want, but maybe just a different approach, and they fly slightly to the left And the windows open to the left and they fly straight through and off they go into the wide world. And so I think that's the whole point of the flex is the power of a pause, the power to bend and just move forward in maybe a different
0: shape. I'm reading this. This is decided already. (laughs) I think to me, this year is what I call the year of flow. And flow to me is a very feminine quality. It is You know, I've been working on my feminine masculine for a long time, but my masculine side is a doer. It's like you set yourself a target and yeah, there will be a few rocks on the way. So you're going to have to break through those. You know, there will be a bit of lava. So what? Your feet can burn a little and, you know, there will be a few tigers. Fine, you'll get there. But without an arm, who cares? Right. And this is the masculine way. It's like carve your way through life. While what you're saying is, yeah, you can still get there, but you might as well just jump in the water and swim a little bit. And you're going to show up on the other side. And I love that. I love the idea of flowing with life rather than resisting life. And I think that's really magnificent. How does that lead to happiness in your view? You're not saying give up on your goals. You're not saying give up on perfect, are you?
1: No. Well, I am saying kind of, I'm saying redefine what you think perfect is. Redefine what you think happiness is. Redefine what you think success is. Because I think we've got to a point where success is unsustainable in its current format. Success defined by these, you know, these capitalistic machines is unsustainable for ourselves, the environment. You know, I think we are collectively burnt out the pandemic I do think changed the pace a lot because it changed our way of working but the ego is very good at forgetting and so we go back to what was creating so much unhappiness for us by going back to inverted commas busy and relentless doing and you know you talk about the feminine and the masculine energy I think the feminine energy is that energy that allows pause a lot and in a way I think about this so much because if you think about just our, you know, the heroes we celebrated over the last year, it's carers, it's the feminine energies that have finally been put in this heroic kind of pedestal, whereas prior to this, they, our heroes were war heroes, which was like, you know, such the example of like the masculine. And so I'm interested in the next five years, how do we kind of, you know, bring that caringness, even when the world goes back to probably quite a masculine forces, which is like doing, ensuring that the economy is supported. But I mean, look, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think the same amount of success can be created, but just in in a different way. So to your question, the same amount of success can always be created. But I think the book is trying to In the last chapter, in the Flex Future chapter, I talk about the science behind manifesting and getting what you want, but manifesting in a flexible way, whereby, let's say, the goal you set, maybe you reach a different destination, but that isn't a disappointment. That's just, wow, I've got a new adventure. Where are we going to go from here?
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. I think this is really the way to go through life. I really admire that you're making those decisions from a place where six years ago you were so determined to make everything in life go exactly how you want it to be. I think this is truly amazing. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions that are very common to your generation? I think sharing about those would make a big difference. You, You had an incredible TED talk about being addicted to likes and you know you're a famous person on social media. Recently, you know, there has been the the big hit on Netflix and around the social dilemma and, and the whole impact that social media has on us and maybe the dangers that social media has on us. It's interesting because you're out there, you're prominent, but at the same time, you're saying it's an addiction. It's, you know, it's something that we should maybe avoid or at least regulate. What's your take on this?
1: I think you summed it up with, you know, should we should regulate. I think we spend so much time and thinking about our, inverted commas, diet. You know, what food are we eating to promote our health? And, you know, I think we should also consider the information diet we're living on. If we're living on social media, which is a curated stream of other people's highlights, like, how does that really make us feel in every study? Would suggest, and the research shows that if you spend time on social media, it usually reduces your sense of self and self esteem. And of course, I can sit here and tell you all the benefits too like it connects communities, and you know, it's been incredible for sharing the word about good things. And technology is not the evil here, it's how we use it is what places the color on it. And so that changes for everybody. But what I would say is information research theory has found that the conscious brain, our brain is receiving what, 11 million pieces of information and our conscious brain can only process 50.
0: (laughs) That's a limitation.
1: (laughs) Right. It's a bit of a limitation. So this idea of like infoxication, we are overloaded with information and it's making us feel overwhelmed. That's a fact. So... How do we manage what we are consuming and how does that make us feel? And I do think and I still now like I did that TED talk addicted to likes looking at how, you know, essentially our brain chemistry is manipulated by this kind of quantifiable platform that puts numbers against how much external validation we have. Nothing has changed in the last six years. I noticed how detrimental that was to me and to so many people around me. And in six years' time, I consciously know this is not very good for me, and yet I'm still on it. And so it's we're living in very strange times, and I don't think I have an answer. I think that I'm definitely in a process of awareness and constantly have to negotiate with my inner critic that of course, gets upset when when suddenly I think my social media is rubbish and, like, nobody likes that post. And as much as my conscious brain is like, oh, Poppy, you know how ridiculous this is. I'll have a moment <laughs> when I haven't, you know, slept for a few days and just a bit overwhelmed and trying to do too many things. Suddenly that inner critic catches fire and is like, oh, you're useless. You should quit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely not the solution here, but I think it's important to discuss it.
0: I'm really struggling with it myself, to be honest, because as you rightly said, I'm not showing photos of my butt. So, you know, this is not my use of the social media. So I'm actually using it for good. You know, I'm really trying to spread the message of happiness. But you're absolutely right. It is ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. You know, it really is even a very shallow way of doing it because you have to conform to guidelines that actually don't go beyond the surface to any level of depth at all. You know, yeah, sometimes I receive questions that require a 10-minute answer, right? Yeah, that's not going to happen on Instagram. Nobody's going to listen to 10 minutes and the engine is not going to prioritize it because that means they're going to use so much more bandwidth and it's money for them to send it to people and it's taking much more, you know, storage on their hard drives. By definition, useful is not going to go far on social media. And yet, like you, my inner critic will wake up in the morning and say, but if one person saw it, you know, if one person saw it, that's a good thing. And I don't know the answer either. It is quite an interesting dilemma.
1: And I think it's, you know, one thing that I think it's important to discuss is people really have to get curious as to who is being real on a platform that allows you to project whatever. And so challenge who you're receiving your advice from. And this is why I really appreciate accounts like yours because I know the thought, like with all your work you've done and that's why your podcast is so brilliant, to your point, you even are thinking, oh, this answer requires 10 minutes. I would much rather receive my moments of inspiration from a feed like yours, but there are other people who I realize have got zero depth, have done zero research and are giving out advice left, right, and center. In my eyes, it's like fast food. Like, you always have a choice (laughs) on, like, what you consume. You can go to kind of, like, fast food, a nice graphic that doesn't really make you feel anything, or you can follow people that really, you know, the intention behind it. And so I think as a user, to me, that's become really important. Like, who do I actually want to follow? Um, Who do I want to really consume? And for everyone listening too, I think, especially if you're looking for mental health advice, really challenge the people that you're following. Because are they living what they talk about? Like, have they done the research? And I think that's really important. But yeah, it's, in a way, I think the switch off generation is coming. Because I think we're all becoming extremely fatigued by having to live two lives. The one in our physical realm and the one in the digital.
0: Mm. That's such a good way of putting it. When you uh, spoke about the 10 years or the years where you wanted to be a very successful TV presenter and you gave up on your personal life, basically. You said, I didn't date for 10 years and so on. You can skip the question if you want, but even if you're not running that crazy for your career, I find it very difficult, love and relationships in your generation, many, many more frequent heartbreaks than what we used to have. Many more, I don't know, it's the paradox of choice, if you want. There is too much to be done. How do you find that experience for your generation?
1: Oh, I mean, again, like nothing is black and white. So I can't sit here and go, dating apps are awful because there's going to be 10 people that said, oh my gosh, I met my soulmate on a dating app. They're absolutely incredible. And...
0: Ten people <laughs> only, only 10. Right.
1: <laughs> not sure why that number came to me and I think that it is really challenging I'd be lying if I didn't say it was and also as a woman who's 30, I'm having to like massively decondition and unravel. Is it culture telling me that I need to be married and have a baby? Is it social media that's filled with other women my age like going through that process? Is it my own soul telling me I want that? It's difficult to know exactly where kind of that's coming from. And so the current world of such fast food dating, I think it's it's definitely challenging, but it's not impossible. And I also, you know, I talk about this in the book, too. I think it's really easy to fall into narratives, like, oh, it's so difficult, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. There are incredible people out there. There is amazing connections to be had, and I have this amazing friend who, if I ever fall into that kind of slightly negative talk, which is, oh, is this ever gonna happen? She's like, oh, there are so many wonderful options. And that's the difference in my mind being stiff and flexible, like the affirmation that I actually like, although I'm slightly kind of hesitant on affirmations in general, because sometimes I really don't think they work. I am too. But I do like the affirmation. I expect the unexpected. I expect the unexpected.
0: So wonderful.
1: It's like, you don't know if you, you know, might meet someone in a coffee shop or when you're buying groceries or when you go out. And I think if we all really worked and practiced our curiosity, then I think that, you know, we would probably all be so much more open to diamonds, finding diamonds in the rough.
0: Well, I have to say, I truly, truly from my heart enjoyed this conversation. You are searching and seeking in a way that I rarely find. And you're so kind to so generously and openly share all of that. I Absolutely. I'm so grateful that you came and you shared with us. And I have to say, I'm really curious because I have to say, if, you, if you're doing this, you're going to find a lot more than those who don't seek. And if your ability to sum it up in such clear ways around, you know, the four ways of flexible thinking or the very, very, I mean, the, the answer to the universe and life and everything, happy, not perfect. Uh, then, <laughs> then then i think you're going to teach us a lot i'm really really thankful that you came and, and spoke to me today poppy it's wonderful
1: honestly thank you so much for having me as um, many people know you're a total hero and your work has inspired me greatly i remember the channel 4 interview you did
0: oh that's a long time ago
1: <laughs> oh years ago and i remember watching it and it still to this day i can remember and it was incredibly pivotal on my path. So thank you so much for everything you've done.
0: And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for MoGaudet, that Slow Mo, soul for Happy or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.